Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and then also in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at both of those in just a minute. Um, I want to ask you this. Did everybody have a good New Year's Eve last night? Everybody had a good New Year's Eve? Real wild parties and, and all that type of stuff. Ours was, ours was really amazing. We stayed in. Uh, we didn't do a whole, whole lot. We... Um, uh, we we're boring. That's why that's why ours was amazing to us. Is we're just boring. We're not like party animals or anything like that. And so we stayed in and uh, we did. It's kind of a tradition that we do. We do a meal based on our favorite appetizers. So Stacy made meatballs, which is Natalie's favorite uh, favorite appetizer. And then uh, we had some some little little mini quiches and some buffalo ranch chicken dip and all that stuff, which is our favorites. And then Noel. Noelle made sushi. She got a sushi kit, so she learned to make sushi and made sushi last night, uh, which, was, which was really good too. Our stomachs aren't feeling too hot this morning. Just wanted to let you know that because you're thinking that is an odd mix, but we, uh, we enjoy it. The best part of the night, Stacy and I had already turned in before 11 o'clock. And, uh, you know, and that, that you might be thinking, man, you all are getting old. And I was like, no, 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 we're not old. We're just real spiritual because that's how much we trust the Lord. That we don't have to stay up until midnight to make sure that it becomes a new year. All right, we just trusted that if I wake up tomorrow, God's still on the throne and it's a new year and we're going to go after it and we're going to get it. If not, we get to go home to Jesus, right? But, but, but what is it about a new year that always makes us full of excitement, always makes us full of hope, always gets us full of like, I don't know, fresh vision and, and, and all that stuff. And, and a lot of times I think it's just peer pressure, don't you? That, well, everybody else is making resolutions. I better make some resolutions too as well, right? I mean, is, are things really that different because it turned from December 31st into January 1st? I mean, are things really all that different? I mean, no, because we see months change all the time. Just because it turned from December to January, it, but there is something about the idea of a fresh new calendar, a fresh new agenda. It's like a whole new year is out in front of you and you haven't really tainted it with anything yet right? But psychologically, it ushers in this refreshed sense of optimism, a, a fresh sense of effort, or if you're a melancholic like me, a fresh sense of dread of what's going to go wrong this year, right? Um, we often quantify this change and this fresh sense of things by making resolutions, and we usually make resolutions that are noble and that are good and that are like kind of optimistic and everything, right? Nobody really makes a resolution, you know what? Uh, think I want to gain a few LBs this year, right? I mean, unless you really, unless you're sick or something and you need that. And here's the thing. I wish we could come up with a way. We do blood transfusions. We do all kinds. I wish we could do weight transfusions, don't you? Because I got a lot to give, right? I'll give blood and stuff, but if I could give some weight too, that would be fantastic. That's mutually beneficial to both parties, right? So, but here's what I'm praying. I know, I don't know if you've made any resolutions this year. I don't know if you've made any, any commitments or goals or anything like that for this year, but here's what I'm doing. I'm praying that we are able with the Lord's help to keep those resolutions only if those resolutions are in line with God's plan for us and only if it's in line with God's plan for you through the Lord's help to keep the resolutions that lead us to a deeper relationship with him and a better understanding of who he is and a closer walk with him. And I've, I've made a few resolutions this year that I haven't shared with anyone. Most of them I'm going to keep to myself because I believe this. I believe that resolutions are best seen by the fruit that we produce rather than heard by their declaration. 
We often make resolutions and declaration is easy, but actually getting to it and completion is what's important. But see, one resolution I have made this year that I want to share is that I have dedicated this year that I want to pray more than I ever have and that I want to walk closer with Jesus than I ever have. And those two things have to go hand in hand. If you want to walk with Christ, you've got to get on your knees and pray before the Lord. And that's what I've said I want to do. I want to, I want to pray more and I want to walk with Jesus more than I've ever done. And you can call it sappy New Year's optimism, but I believe this. 2003 has the potential to be the greatest year ever. All right? It has the potential to be the greatest year ever. Now, you might call that optimism and sappy New Year's optimism, or you can, you can call it whatever you want to. But you can also call it sappy New Year's fatalism as well to say that it also has the potential to be the most chaotic and most horrific year we've ever had as well. It all depends on the choices that we make, and it depends on the, the view that we have before us and whether we keep our eyes fixed on what God wants us to be fixed on. See, in Deuteronomy, we see this truth that can actually be applied to every single day that we're given here on earth. And over in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see that Moses' time of leadership in the children of Israel is beginning to wind down. And when I say it's beginning to wind down, this is his retirement speech. This is his farewell address to the children of Israel after leading them for over 40 years out of Egypt through the wilderness. And now they sit right on the border of marching into the land that God had promised them 40 years ago. After marching around for 40 years, people have died. An entire generation has come and gone of, Isra of, of Israelites. And now they finally stand at the precipice of stepping into this new land that God had promised them. Moses is delivering his final address. And after he delivers that address, he'll walk up into a mountainside where he'll meet with God. And God will let him look over that mountainside into the clearing and see the land that God had promised. But he will not get to go into the land. God will take him on to heaven at that moment. Moses is delivering his speech and he's going to transition and hand the reins over to Joshua to be the next leader, the one that will lead them into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number one, we see that Moses says this. Moses says that God has set blessings and curses before us. And what he was saying to the children of Israel was that throughout history and throughout your life and throughout our wandering, there were times when we could have chosen to go with God and we could have chosen not to go with God. And we chose to go with God, we got blessings. We chose not to go with God, we got curses. It's all based upon whether we will walk with the Lord. And then in chapter 30 and verses number 15 and 16, I want you to see this. Deuteronomy says this, and Moses is saying this, and it's, it's, he's speaking on God's behalf. He says, see today, I have set before you life and prosperity. I have set before you death and adversity. I mean, you, you, talk about, you talk about quite a dichotomy, right? These are bipolar opposites, right? Life and prosperity and death and adversity. Each day, each week, each month, each year has the potential to go really, really good, or it has the potential to go really, really bad. And the next verse, God gives us the, the, the key to seeing it go really, really good. In verse number 16, he says this, For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, his statutes, his ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Now, I understand that we're not standing on the precipice of moving into new promised land and claiming those things with what, claiming those things that have been promised to our ancestors. But here's what we are doing, church. We're standing on the precipice of a new year. And as a church, we're also standing on the precipice of a new, uh, 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 of a new era or a new chapter in this ministry. 
And the same choice lays before us. There's life and death and and blessing and cursing, all that based upon the choices we make. And here's what it's going to take. It's going to take a collective effort as a body of Christ to choose to walk with God. To be obedient to Him. To look to Him when we're tempted to look elsewhere. To trust Him when we're tempted to trust our own ways, our own machinations. It's going to take us looking to obey Him. When the temptation is just to please self. So we're standing on this precipice of this new journey as we wrap up at Dennis Drive and we move to join in worship with Living Hope next week. The truth is that we don't know what the new year may hold. We don't know what today may hold. We don't know what tomorrow may hold. But God has given us the same game plan regardless of our certainty or our uncertainty. And no matter when it may be or no matter what we may be up against. Number one is to love the Lord our God. Number two is to walk in His ways. And number three is to keep His commands and His statutes and His ordinances. It's a simple threefold plan. Love God, walk with God, obey God. It's easy. Not really. It sounds easy. It's easy to remember, but it's not always easy to practice, is it? And there's one primary thing that must be done, one vital discipline that must be held in order to love him more, walk with him more, and obey him more, and that is to pray more. That is to spend time with him, to talk to the Lord. It's a vital discipline. So this year we have a choice, life and good or death and evil. And that choice will be determined by how closely we walk with him. So I want to shift this morning to the New Testament because Paul is standing before or or, or kind of sitting at a desk and writing to some people at a church in Colossae. And this is thousands of years later after Moses has delivered this address. But the idea has not changed a whole lot. The formula for being blessed and the formula for walking forward in blessing and for walking forward with God hasn't changed a whole lot. And in verse number 1 through 14, we're going to see this, but we find a prayer that Paul says he did not cease to pray for the Colossian church. In verse number 9, Paul says, I do not cease to pray this prayer for the church at Colossae. It was a prayer that he prayed for all of his brothers and sisters. And so out of reverence for the word of God this morning, would you please stand as we read this passage, uh, as we read this passage. And beginning in verse number 1, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints at the church, uh, in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope that is reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and it is growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day that you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. What a testimony of a church. That you are walking faithfully with the Lord and you bear the witness of the gospel in your life. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray this morning that you will be glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you will speak. Lord Jesus, 
May you draw us closer to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Today I want to focus closely on verses 9 through 11. And we look at and we find an old prayer. This was prayed 2,000 plus years ago. An old prayer that is still just as fresh for any new year that we look at. It's fresh for any day. This is a prayer that I've made a habit of praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ on a regular basis. Because it's so powerful. It's, it's basically a prayer of intercession for every brother or sister you may have in Christ. It's a prayer that is always timely. It's always relevant as well. See, two times in our text, in verses 3 and in verses 9, Paul mentions that he is consistently praying for the church. And he outlines this prayer to him, which teaches us something very important today. That if you're praying for somebody, don't be afraid to let them know that. Okay? If you're praying for somebody and if, if God is laying them on your heart, don't be afraid to let them know that because you never know if that's going to become as an encouragement to somebody. You're praying for me. Like how messed up do you have to be when somebody texts you and says, I'm praying for you. Like, bro, what's up? Why? Why? What do you think I do? You know, that's a guilty conscience, isn't it? Most of the time, if you let somebody know you're praying for them, they're happy about that and thankful for it. So I want to look at three things this morning very quickly. And you know that's the kiss of death, right? Let's look at three things that Paul prays for his fellow believers in Colossae that we can pray for one another for ourselves in the new year and with new things laying ahead. First of all, this is a prayer that is prayed so that people could have a new perception. It's a prayer for a new perception among our brothers and sisters and among our church. And we see that again in verse number 9 of chapter 1. He says, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding there. He says, I want you to be, and the verb there in that, in that text is, that I want you to be filled. I want you to be filled to overflowing with the knowledge and the wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what we see is that this new perception that we are praying for our brothers and sisters is actually a proper perception that has always been available. It's not for a new revelation. It's not for a new like truth to be revealed. No, God has revealed what he wants us to know. But sometimes our perception begins to wane. And so we need a renewed perception. When our eyes, kind of like with Peter, when he's out on the water and walking on the water and his eyes are just glued to Jesus and all of a sudden they begin to drift from him, what happens? As his eyes begin to drift from Christ, his feet begin to sink into the water. We need a renewed perception because our eyes tend to drift from Jesus and we need to have our renewed perception back there. So Paul is praying this. And our prayer must be for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters. Is that we have a renewed perception every day of our lives. That we keep our eyes fixed on him. And, and that word perception is basically what it means according to Webster is. Knowledge or understanding that we receive through the experience of our senses. Perception is based upon experience. And if you've been saved for any amount of time. You have an experience with the Lord. A lot of times people try to mystify their experience. And they try to, they try to reserve their experiences with God for big you know, times when it feels like heaven just comes down. But folks, if you woke up this morning with breath in your body, you've had an experience of grace. Our perception is based upon our experience, like we sang about just a minute ago. Our experience with the goodness of God. And I want to ask you this question this morning. When was the last time that you became aware and focused your entire senses in on the goodness of God over your life? 
Because when we become aware of his goodness, then we become aware of our need to respond in worship and in thanksgiving and in gratitude and in praise. So he says, I, wanna, I have this perception, I have this understanding, this experience. And it comes from being filled with the knowledge of God. Being filled with the knowledge. And first of all, it's a knowledge of his will. See, if we're to do the will of the Lord like we're told to do in Deuteronomy, we must know what the will of the Lord is. Well, what is the will of the Lord for us? To love him, to walk with him, and to obey him. That's the will of the Lord. The phrase filled with the knowledge means to have a full knowledge. And the Greek language paints a picture of a vessel that is filled to overflowing. It's like if we had left the water running on this baptistry all night long and we came in this morning, we would come into an overflowing baptistry and wet carpet because some things can only hold so much. And you and I as vessels can only hold so much. But here's what Paul is saying. I want the goodness of God and I want the will of God and the knowledge of God to be so strong in you that it has filled Builds you completely and it just spews all over everybody you come around. See, that's how the gospel makes a difference in a world that doesn't know Christ is when people who do know Christ exude the goodness of God around. And so he says, I want you to have a new perception. And that new perception is one that looks above your circumstances, that looks above the mountaintops that stand in your way and sees a God enthroned on high above all of it. So I want you to know the knowledge of God's will. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you were on the fence over something? About what God wanted you to do? And you know, I kind of really feel like God's, God's wanting me to do this, but I, I just don't know about that. Have you ever stopped to think about why is it that you don't know about it? Is it, is it, is it, is it discernment from God or is it fear and a lack of trust that God will be there with you when he does? Because if God calls you to it, he's going to bring you with, he's going to be with you as you go through it. And that's not like a, you know, prosperity gospel kind of like just buzz phrase. But if he calls you to it, he will be faithful to be with you as he brings you through it. He will. The question is, how do I get there to this full knowledge where I'm not just on the fence? It requires a complete and a total surrender. Look, faith doesn't always look like total confidence. Faith looks like trust in the midst of doubt. That's what faith really looks like. See, in order to be filled with the knowledge of God, we need to be cleared out of any commitment to our own. See, we have to say, Lord, show me your will and I will do it. And it starts with saying, Lord, clear me out of my own agenda so that only yours remains. So it's a knowledge of his will, but it's also a knowledge of his word. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but also in wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Well, the question is, what is wisdom? Think about how many wise people do you know? How many people in your life do you consider to be wise? And then ask yourself, why is it that I look at this person and think that they're wise? Is it because they have a lot of life experience and they can share their viewpoints on things? Is it because they have a lot of degrees on their wall? Is it because, you know, whatever it may be, is it because they have a lot of followers on TikTok or, 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 or Twitter or Instagram? Are they wise just because a lot of people listen to them? Wisdom according to God and what this is talking about in our word is not someone who just has a whole lot of life experience and a lot of people like to listen to. Wisdom is the ability to apply God's truth in a messed up world. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to apply God's truth in a messed up world. So the question is who gives us wisdom? God. And where do we find this wisdom at? We find it in his word. Listen. If we want to make sure that we act and think wisely, 
in a world that doesn't know the Lord, we have to know the word of the Lord to know how to act. So we have to have a knowledge of his word. So I encourage you to make a resolution to get in the Bible this year. It's the first day of the new year. Start reading the Bible and say, hey, I'd like to read it through in a year. Now, I'm not a big one on making goals. Here's what I would say. Say, I want to spend every day in communication with God. I want to read the Bible every day this year. Some people say, man, I'm going to read the Bible through. That's fine. If that works for you, that's great. But for some of you, what you need to start with is say, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Whether you finish it or not, leave that to God. But I'm going to read the Bible every day. If it's a verse, if it's two verses, if it's a chapter, if it's a whole book, if it's a whole testament, you're a super saint, that's fine. But read the Bible. I'm going to interact with the Word of God every day this year. Right? Because the Bible is our all in all and we need it. We need it desperately. See, here's why. Because the Bible is needed on all levels. See, your child may just be learning how to read. Teach them how to read the Bible. What book, what book is better for them to read, right? It's the instruction book for all of life. You'll be a better student if you learn the principles found in the Word of God and practice them throughout elementary school. You might be in your teen years and it seems like all your friends have turned their backs on God, on the church. They're questioning everything that, that, that Christianity is about. And maybe they think the Bible is a book of fairy tales or it's a book of oppression or it's just a book of all of these different things that are bad or outdated. Read the Bible and it will get to you and it will get you through the years when you want to wander away from God, the church, and everything that God has intended to grow you. Maybe you're in your 20s or in college age. And it might not be popular among your friends or your professors at school. And you may think like you're the only person in the world who opens this book. But open this book because this is where wisdom is found. You may find a lot of learning and education in the library. But you will only find wisdom in God's book. Maybe you're just starting out in your life in your 30s or your 40s and you're beginning to build your foundations. If you build on any other foundation than the word of God, it's like sand that will crumble. Maybe your life is already, most of your life is already behind you and you think I'm just coasting on to heaven. Might as well get into the book of the word and into the word of God to see how things are going to run when you get there. See, the word of God is is, is desperately needed for every stage of life. So Paul prayed for a new perception, a new perception that is based on faith in God and trust in his word. And then he prayed for a different kind of prosperity. He prayed for a different kind of prosperity. The passage that I mentioned in Deuteronomy said that if they would do the will of God, then he would see to it that they would live, that they would multiply and be blessed in their new land. In much the same way, Paul is praying that the prosperity would come to the believers in Colossae as well. Now, what the believers in Israel were hoping for was a promise that was dedicated to them, that the Messiah would come. What the believers in Colossae were doing is that they were looking at a promise that was dedicated to them in the church age, that the Messiah will come again. He's already come and that he has is, he is, he is made it, but the Messiah will come again to receive them unto himself. And so they are enduring until they are taken home with Jesus Christ. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. This was the prayer that Paul has for his brothers and sisters in Colossae. It's a prayer that we should have for one another. It's a prayer that we should have for ourselves as well. That we walk worthy of the Lord. That we walk worthy of the Lord and we're fully pleasing to Him. And here's one of the ways I think that the church in the United States in, 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 in like today's day and age has gotten, has gotten something wrong. <clears throat> one of our core values as a church we found when we did a core value study was community. 
And that word community encompasses a lot. It encompasses getting together. It even encompasses some potlucks and stuff like that. But what it encompasses is a concern and a love for one another like your family. That's what community is. But for the most part, what many times what we do is we focus on, and Sundays are all about your personal relationship with Christ, and that's true. But you have a personal Lord and Savior who calls you into community with others He has saved. You see how that works? So that means when we're praying, I'm not just praying that I'll be drawn close to the Lord. I need to pray that my brothers and sisters will be drawn closer to the Lord as well. Because I'm going to be strengthened by other people being strengthened around me as well. One thing that we've often done is we isolate ourselves and we came through COVID and all that stuff and everybody was isolated and became one-on-one and stuff and we have to get back to where we understand an importance of a sense of community, of a sense of community with one another. But it was a different kind of prosperity, two areas which every believer has to understand. It's a, it's a prosperity in our walk. We think of prosperity oftentimes and we think about money, 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 honey. Right? We think about how can I get them dollar dollar bills. All right? We think about that. That's prosperity. I'm getting a nicer house. I'm getting a better car. I'm prospering in my health. I'm getting, I'm getting more packs in my abs. And that's prosperity. Everything's moving the right way. Prosperity is not always measured by dollars and cents. Prosperity in God's economy is measured by how rich you are in Christ. And Jesus said himself, he says, Do not work to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because moths break through, thieves break through and steal, and it rusts and tarnishes. He says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves can't steal, where, the, where, where moth can't break in, and where rust doesn't exist. And so here's how we lay up those treasures. We walk with the Lord. He says in verse number 10, so that you may be worthy, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to Him. And you may be thinking, whoa, walk worthy of the Lord. That's a tall order. How am I ever going to be worthy of God? You, just about every message, Pastor, you say, we're not worthy of Him. That's why it's called grace and mercy. You're right. How in the world am I supposed to walk worthy of the Lord? How do I, a sinner, walk worthy of someone who is perfect and righteous in every possible way? The only way to walk in the way he has laid out. It's the only way that we walk worthy of the Lord is to walk in step with him as he leads. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if anyone will come after me, let, if anyone will follow me, let him take up his cross, right? And follow after me. See, oftentimes we look at salvation and the gospel as a means to an end. If I trust Jesus here, I'll get to go to heaven there. But what happens in the middle of here and there? That's the following part. That's the difficult part. He says, I'm calling you and I'm praying for you to have a new prosperity that you prosper in your walk with Christ and you prosper in that more than anything else. See, there's another good resolution idea to let our steps be ordered by the Lord and pleasing to Him. And then also that we would prosper in our work. You say, all right, yeah, here's where it goes. That sales will be better this year. That my, my job, I might get that promotion that I've been going for, that raise not talking about your career, not talking about your occupation. I'm talking about your discipleship and I'm talking about your position and disposition in Jesus Christ. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. Isn't that a good prayer? When was the last time you prayed for somebody in your church? Lord, I just pray that they'll bear good fruit this year. I pray that they'll just bear the fruits of the Spirit more. In your assessment of last year, let me ask you this. In your assessment of last year, if you've laid it out and looked back over your year, how did you assess it? 
Did you, did you think about your service to God? Did that factor into how you assessed last year and whether it was good or bad? Did you consider whether or not God was pleased with how you served him? As you approach this new year, did, you, did that factor into the goals that you have set for yourself? Do your resolutions and your goals reflect a spiritual value or are they restricted only to the temporal? And here's one, one that, I've, that I've actually set and I set it every year, but this year I've really got to get serious about it. Because in full vulnerability and trans, tran, transparency, I'm probably in the, the, the least, I'm probably the most out of shape that I've ever been in my life. And I have actually, not just, not just out of vanity, but from a spiritual standpoint, I've become convicted that I need to steward my body better. That I need to take better care of my body because it's an act of stewardship. He's given me one body, and if I wear it out, and if I abuse it, then I'm not using it for everything God created it for. So there's a spiritual aspect to that. See, work done for temporal gain will yield temporal rewards. Just like Jesus said, if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, they're just treasures on earth. That's where they stay, man. But work done for spiritual gain will yield eternal rewards. So Paul prayed that the church would be able to perceive the will of God and the word of God. And then he prayed that they would be prosperous in their walk and in their work for him. And then lastly, as we get ready to tie this, tie this bad boy up into a bow, Paul prayed... For supernatural power. Paul prayed for supernatural power. When you think about power, what image comes to mind? When I think about power, I think about The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Dude is just, I mean, power. But really, that's not power, that's strength. Power is something that is generated on its own. Power is something that has something backing it, right? Colossians chapter 1 verse number 11 says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully. So what he's saying is, he's not saying that you need to look, and here's, he's not saying you need to look like the rock. That's just strength. And a lot of people, this is what we think power is. We think power is having a lot of behavior modification. We think power is just what we can manufacture on our own. No, power, what it says is, you are strengthened with power. That means I can't conjure it up myself. It says, according to what? According to his glorious might. That means that power is not something that comes from me. It's something that comes from God himself. God has promised us supernatural power. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters and for our church that God will give us that power. Because if he doesn't, it's not coming from anywhere else. There are things that we cannot do without God. We cannot do it without God. It was a power, it was a prayer for a power that was not of this world and it can't be conjured up, it can't be manufactured, it can't be programmed, it can't be manipulated. And there are a lot of people who have great strengths, great talents, great abilities. But if it is not backed by the power of God, it has no real spiritual power. So as he prays according to his glorious might. That word glorious comes from the Greek word meaning of doxa. D-O-X-A, which is where we get our word for doxology. It's something that pertains only to God, only his opinion or his estimation. His power is not limited, nor can it be constrained. His power is doxa. It is glorious. It is godly. It is only of God. And his might, that Greek word is kratos, 
Kratos means diminutive, continued, unhindered power and strength. So we're not just talking about God is, the, God is like the top dog until somebody else knocks him off. We're talking about God is God and there is no God other than God. He is a God who has glorious might. And what does he do with his children? He shares that glorious might with us. And that's the prayer that Paul is praying for the church. He's praying, God, would you send down your doxocratos, your glorious might and power that it may be on display through your church so that when the world looks at your church and at your kids, they see life right in front of them. And it becomes a life that is so intoxicating and so inviting that it they pulls people into it. And folks, we don't see that happening a whole lot here in the United States. But you read stories now about how it's happening on other parts of the world, over in Middle Eastern regions and in Eastern African regions where the gospel is just, it's just exponentially growing. Why? Because of the doxocratos, the glorious power and might of God. Not something that we can conjure, not something that we manufacture, not something that we can program or budget, but the arrival of the power of God. The Colossians needed the power of God in and on their lives and ministry, and so do we, church. We are no different in 2023 than the church in Colossae was in 5 or 20 or 25 AD when they believed this was written. We're no different. We all have the same need. We need the doxocratos. They didn't have computers and screens and tablets to preach from. They didn't even have a completed Bible. But what they had was the power of God. And with the power of God, they turned the world upside down. And that same power is still available to his church today. So they needed power to do a couple of things. And here's what he prayed for. He wanted them to have power to endure Power to endure. He says, so that you may have great endurance and patience in verse number 11. Now, I know when I said that, somebody here probably just perked up. Because you're sitting here thinking, all this talk about a new year, new opportunities, new me, new you, all that stuff. He's like, man, you're probably thinking, man, it doesn't feel any different. It's just 2022.2.0. It's just going to be nothing but downhill still. And you're probably thinking, now you're speaking my language. I just need some power to endure. I'm just trying to get through. I'm just trying to exist. We've all been there and maybe that's where you're at right now. But I want to challenge you to take note of Paul's prayer. You don't just have to simply get through. You don't just have to simply endure. You can endure with power and you can exist with power. Because for the child of God just getting to the next day is living under the old regime. Just enduring is living under the old regime because living things grow, man. Living things live. Don't settle for just getting through the day or the new year. Bust through it for the glory of God. He also prayed for power for them to endure, but also to endure whatever may come. Whatever may come. And here's Paul, the same guy who when he was in prison... Imprisoned, he wrote to the Philippians and he said this. He said, I have learned that in whatsoever I, whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to endure them. So whatever it is you may be on, you may feel like you're on that uphill climb trying to climb that mountain. Or you may feel like you're down in the valley and you have no more strength to climb the next one, the next hill. Endure with power of knowing that you're not alone. You never will be, you never are. 
And then you begin to enjoy in the middle of that endurance. He says, he says, endure joyfully. That last word in verse number 11 is joyfully. This is the result of perceiving the will of God and the word of God and prospering in your walk and work for him is that you begin to find out what life is really meant to be as he walks with you and talks with you. The relationship that he's called you to. And that's the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. It was simple. That they'd be strengthened. That they'd be given a new perspective. That they'd be given a new prosperity. Or see a different prosperity. And that they would be given supernatural power. And I'm asking and challenging each of us today. To pray this prayer for ourselves and for one another in 2023. That the Lord would give perception. That the Lord would give prosperity. And the Lord would give pro power for the new year. And maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're watching this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're doubting or maybe you feel like you've wandered too far. I, under, I want you to understand this. That God has not given up on you. Even if you feel like you're getting ready to give up on God. He never gives up on you. As long as there's breath in the body, there is hope for the soul. And as long as there's breath in the body, it's been given to you by Him for the purpose of glorifying Him. In just a minute, we're going to observe communion. We're going to take, take a, a wafer that symbolizes the body of Christ. And we're going to drink grape juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ. And remember His sacrifice on the cross. But why did He do that? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he suffer like that? Why did he go through all that? Why didn't he just come down and conquer it and save everybody? Because the Bible tells us that because of our sins, a penalty had to be paid. And it could only be the Son of God. We couldn't pay the penalty on our own. Because we don't have that dunamis kratos power. We don't have that doxa power. We don't have that. All we have is strength that we can conjure. And we can't pay for our own sins. Jesus did it. And this is a symbolic memorial of the sacrifice that he paid. And it was a big one. Because it reminds us that by looking back on the sacrifice of Christ, we are empowered to move forward in his name. Because the blood and the body that we memorialize at the crucifixion is not the end of the story. There's also an empty tomb. That when he rose from the dead, he gives us life everlasting. And I believe that Paul quantifies it best here at the close of our text. As we look at the last part of Colossians chapter 1 this morning. I want you just to listen to this. If it's better for you to just close your eyes and hear this. Hear these words. <clears throat> it says, I pray that you give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. In him we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything that was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And by him all things hold together. Speaking of Jesus. He's also the head of the body. The church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
See, it's by looking back to his death that we can move forward unto life. It's when Jesus sacrificed himself and gave himself for us that all of these new things became available to him. The head of the church, the firstborn of creation, all things holding together and all things consisting in him. At the opening message, at the opening of the message, we looked at Deuteronomy 30 about the choices we have. Death and life, prosperity and, and, and poverty. This is the choice that we all have. We have a choice. Will I trust Jesus as my Savior or will I not? That's the choice of salvation. Have you made that choice to be saved? If you haven't, let it be today. Call on Him and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and put your faith and trust in Him. And if you say, I am saved, but I've kind of wandered, you have a choice. You can continue down the path of wandering and it leads to cursing. Or you can continue... Or you can switch and go to the path of following Christ and it leads to blessing and a new perspective and a different kind of prosperity. But it leads to spiritual power to endure and to enjoy the life that God's given you. So as we bow our heads and we close our eyes this morning. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.